10-5, touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you. Glad you've joined us once again for another fun-filled edition. Really excited about our special guest coming up here in just a little bit. A-State pitching coach Alan Dunn swinging by the studio. Going to visit with him and Really excited about A-State bringing him on in the offseason. He had been the pitching coach at LSU the last 10 years. National Pitching Coach of the Year at at one point in that time at at LSU. So, yeah, it was a real eye-opener when Arkansas State pulled that off. I would think you'd have to say no matter how good your signing class is, that's the top addition you made in the offseason right there. In the meantime, a lot of basketball to talk about before then. The Sunbelt Conference Tournament has been taking place over the last several days in Pensacola, Florida. This is the second year that they've held it in Pensacola. And off the top, I want to say I really enjoy it being there. It's been a good location there at the Pensacola Bay Center. I think Hot Springs is probably still my favorite spot we've done the tournament But the team and the staff, a lot of the A-State fans stayed at the same hotel, which was the Holiday Inn Resort right there on Pensacola Beach, which is tough to beat as far as a team hotel. No no offense to Lake Hamilton. The Holiday Inn Resort was a little bit different than the Spring Hotel. uh, Also no knock to Lake Pontchartrain. (laughs) But... The A-State support was fantastic, and just from the time we got there, and I expected a lot of our fans to be there for the weekend, but even for the first round games, the women's game Wednesday, the men's game Thursday, we had a great crowd, and there were a lot of comments from people around the league that Arkansas State had the best contingent there at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. It looked great. The fans were fantastic. I know the chancellor's office had the the towels, the white towels that they were waving. It was a cool atmosphere. And the A-State fans were a big part uh, of that atmosphere in Pensacola. And just uh, not being there, but only watching or listening to the broadcast, sound like a home game. I mean, with Arkansas State, yeah, did something well. I mean, it, it sounded like a home game, and you know, it's cool to be able to do that and do it eight hours away from home or whatever it is. I want to start with the women's game on Wednesday because they they played first. They were the eight seed. They took on the nine seed, Coastal Carolina. And during the regular season, A-State had blown out Coastal Carolina in Jonesboro. But on this day, Coastal would win 91-76. Coastal's best player, Asia Blunt, with a historic performance. She had 41 points in that game. It was interesting kind of the way it played out. You know, Coastal shot it really well. They shot 55% from the field. Our girls shot just 35%. But... You know, A-State was able to stay in it because they had 21 steals in the game. They forced 25 turnovers, which 
Coastal turned it over 14 more times than the Red Wolves did. It was too much to overcome yeah. the performance by Blunt and the hot shooting from Coastal. I think Blunt, and I, I know who got it, and that's all well and good, but I thought, you know, she's a you know player of the year type kid. And, and really, if you look at the last week of the season, or coming into that point, what that game ended up being is a matchup of probably the two hottest players in the league. You know, Blunt had a huge last week of the season, maybe even a 20 and 20 game or something like that. It was something crazy. And then Jaira Washington had gone, I think, for 25 and 26 in the last two games of the regular season. She had three at halftime and ended up with 30. 30.7 boards and five steals. There were actually three different Red Wolves that had five steals in that game. But the women fall short, eliminated from the Sun Belt Tournament. Their season ends with a record of 12 and 16. Meanwhile, the men played their first round game Thursday against ULM, a game which ULM led for a good portion. You know, A-State's down six out of the final media timeout. There's 422 remaining in the game, and I love the way the Red Wolves ended it. They ended the game on a 15-5 to run. They ended up winning 81-77, to and you mentioned the atmosphere. I thought... Because it did feel like a home game on Thursday night, ULM didn't have spirit squads. They didn't have their pep band there. They didn't have nearly the crowd that A-State did. I thought that was a big difference down the stretch in this game because A-State had all of those things. Uh, They had the atmosphere that you would expect at a home game and that was a big part of it Malcolm Farrington was big in this game he had 11 points and a couple of really big steals late but look North Shadow Mirror was the story when it was all said and done he had a career high 35 points 13 rebounds in that win over Monroe you know North Chad just consistently somehow always finding a new gear to take it to pretty remarkable now with all that being said, that game got one. You know, Marquis Eaton had struggled from the field. I mean, you don't, that's not rocket science. Grab the stat sheet, it'll tell you that. Who hit the shot to put you up? Marquis Eaton. Who'd you want the ball in their hands down the stretch when they needed to foul you? Marquis Eaton. And he delivered. Yeah, he was uh, six of six from the line. And so it was, it was cool to see it. And not even when he struggled from the field, when it came winning time, Marquis Eaton was making plays. So A-State got the first round win, and it set up a quarterfinal matchup with Georgia State, which was a rematch of last year's quarterfinal. And that was the last time these two teams had played because Georgia State had COVID issues. They were not able to come to Jonesboro back in late December for the conference opener. In that game last year, Georgia State won by three, It was a feeling of deja vu in the quarterfinals again, playing Georgia State. And the Red Wolves, once again, would fall just short, losing by three points, 65-62. An exciting game, just like the year before. A great effort uh, by the Red Wolves. They erased a 10-point second-half deficit, took the lead late on a Marquise Davis three, but... I thought it just came down to a couple of critical moments late in this game. And I know you and I were talking about this after the game. You know, Kane Williams, Georgia State's best player, is at the line, and he misses back-to-back 
free throws with 34 seconds left. It's a two-point Georgia State lead at that point. You're thinking you can get the ball down two and go make something happen, tie or take the lead, and the Red Wolves just not able to get the rebound. And that's an absolute, I mean, killer. And Not to say, well, no kidding because of the situation, but sort of regardless situation, few things are a bigger gut punch or few things will you know, make a coach lose what little hair they've got left than not getting a rebound on a missed free throw. And uh, when it happened twice, you know, that's just, boy, it's a lot to, to overcome. Still gave yourself a chance, had the ball in the front court, inbounding it. and Yeah, they had hit one free throw yeah. after that, so it's still a one-possession game at 65-62. And, and unfortunately, sort of what ends this team's run in the tournament, it was a turnover, which we know that at times when this team didn't play well, that's a big part of the reason why it got plagued at times by turnovers. Thought both teams played well defensively in this game. Neither team shot 40% from the field. And again, Norshad O'Meer with just an amazing effort. 21 points, 17 rebounds, and nine of his rebounds came on the offensive end. It's unreal. Yeah, it's crazy. What he did in this tournament. But again, A-State... Uh, Falls short 65-62. They're now 18-11. and 11. Maybe the season's over. Maybe it's not. We'll talk about that coming up well, a little bit later on, though. Before we turn the page from the conference tournament, because we've been talking for weeks that this thing was going to be chaotic. And there's no telling how it's going to play out. And as we're recording this, we don't know how it played out. Championship games tonight. Uh, against you know what are the seeds? The eight three seed and eight against the three seed. Now the two teams picked at the top in the preseason end up making it to the finals as the three seed and the eight seed. But before, going into the finals, there have been ten games in the men's tournament. The average margin of victory is six point one points, mm. and there's been one double digit game in the whole tournament. That's amazing. Just the parody in this league. And, you know, it's been shown over the course of the past week. I will tell you, when Mike Bellotto and I talked before the game and sat down and did our, our pregame on Saturday, he said, look, whoever wins this game tonight is going to win the championship. And he was talking about, you know, our game with Georgia State. He felt like whoever won that game was going to win the championship. And I don't blame him. He, he was 100%. On that, Georgia State is in the championship game as we record this tonight. So, um. I I told some folks going into Saturday, and I don't know if it was at the ballpark uh, or or somewhere else, but I made the comment that if you can win this one, you can win the whole thing. And I mean, I, I kind of have that that same vibe. I get where he's coming from. Yeah, that Georgia State team, you know, had four seniors and a junior, and it was the exact same starting five that started in that game last year. Mm. How many times do you see that? It it does not happen very often, but uh, a heck of a ball game. Again, Red Wolves 18 and 11 now. That was going on in Pensacola. Meanwhile, you were back here. You were calling uh-huh. baseball games. The A-State baseball team played their first five home games of the season this past week. They had... Their series with UAPB canceled the weekend before due to the weather. So a 10-game homestand was cut down to seven games. But 
After the 0-4 start on the road, some good things this past week. The Red Wolves able to win four out of five. They swept the midweek series with Mississippi Valley, then took two out of three from Illinois State. Yeah, the first Mississippi Valley game, they basically just had to just walk away around the bases. We're just being honest, nobody got anything out of that game. That was the one game I've called out of the first nine. Only game I've been able to call on the radio side, but... We did set a school record and sacrifice flies that night. Yeah, and and I but listen, seventeen runs on seven hits. I don't know how much yeah. you get out of that. And Jalen DeShazer, I mean, I, honestly, he screwed up an all-time stat line by getting a base hit in his last at bat because <laughs> in that ball game, I think it was still an all-time. It's stat pretty line. good. He still did go one for one with four RBIs in his. And his base hit was a single. Now, which did not produce no, an RBI. It was the was, only plate appearance all night that didn't. At one produce point, one. he was zero for zero with four RBIs. Now, that is tough to do. Three sack flies, all driving in runs, and then a bases loaded walk for Jalen. But you're right. I, I've never seen a game quite like that. Tell you what else I saw Saturday I had not seen. I think it was Brandon Anderson came in. At one point, you look at the live stats. Brandon Anderson had worked a third of an inning, and his pitch count was zero. He came into a game and picked off the runner at first with two outs. You don't see that very often. He had a third of an inning and no pitches thrown. (laughs) That's, That's one of the great things about baseball, though. You can come out to the ballpark, and there's a good chance you're going to see something that you've never seen before. And we saw that a couple of times this past week. The Red Wolves, though, again, a four and one week. They're now four and five on the year. We'll look ahead to what they have coming up this week a little bit later on. But when we come back, we're going to sit down with the new pitching coach for the Red Wolves. Alan Dunn is in studio right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you and the A-State baseball team turned some heads in the offseason the hiring of their new pitching coach a guy who had spent the last 10 seasons as the pitching coach at LSU was the 2015 national pitching coach of the year I want to welcome in right now new A-State pitching coach Alan Dunn how you doing hey man I am doing great great to be here with you guys and uh talking some baseball on a Monday I guess you could say afternoon you know it did turn heads, though, in the offseason when, when you came in here. So you've got quite a resume. You, you had options after LSU. So what was it about Arkansas State? What made you want to come here to Jonesboro? When things changed at LSU and Coach Maneri retired, and obviously when something like that, there's a change, then there's going to be a change in, in a lot of people's lives. So you, you start – evaluating things and in my case uh, looking at what was going to be the next journey for my wife and myself Um, so we we started thinking about that and and 
kind of looking at possible opportunities, and someone had spoken with me about the A-State pitching coach job being open and asked me would I have interest, and I said, obviously I would. I would like to talk to Coach Raffo. I did not know Tommy uh, prior to this in terms of having had a relationship or any conversations, but I'd always heard about him as a first a person and then secondly uh, his baseball pedigree and the things that he had done you know and I'm like absolutely I'd love to speak with him so he and I got on a phone call on a Saturday morning actually and and I knew very instantly after speaking with him this is someone that I would like to go further with and see if it might be a fit for us so my I went in and actually told my wife right there I said do you want to go to Jonesboro tomorrow? And uh, she said, absolutely. And that's her. You know, she's like, you know, she's been such a a, a backbone for me in my career and, and such a strength to, to gain from. And so we got in the car on Sunday morning. We drove to Jonesboro and uh, had dinner with Tommy and Paula and, you know, just visiting and talking life and things like that. And and, you know, it was an instant connection. You know, everything that I'd heard about him was actually spot on. And uh, so we just started talking about the program and his his uh, his visions of where he wanted this program to go. And, you know, and it just matched up with my thinking. You know, I'd spent 10 years at LSU, 10 great years, uh, had a wonderful experience there. And, and I think we had a lot of success and had an opportunity to do a lot of great things. But... You know, it, it was one of those things that I think we were ready for a new journey for us. Mm-hmm. I still had the passion and the energy to coach, which is what I love to do. And we, we talked about things, and, and um, you know, it just it felt right. I mean, from the very first phone call. And then when I came here and, and saw the community and, and just saw the, the, the town and had a chance to meet with uh, – Tom Bowen and Kelly Dampas too, and and listening to their vision of what they wanted uh, the uh, Arkansas State Athletics program, not yeah. just in baseball, but the whole thing. You know, I'm like, that's a place I want to go. You know, I felt connected and and that we could do the things that 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 we got in this business for, and that was hopefully one to win baseball games, two to hopefully um, help mold men. And, and get them in a uh, when, when they go out on their own and they have families and things like that is hopefully have an impact on them and that's why I got into coaching I'm not going to tell you how many years ago but it was quite a few uh, so anyway that's the long story of of how we got to Arkansas State and I'll tell you what it has been nothing uh, short of all my expectations uh, it's it's been wonderful being here the community. Um, you know, we found a great church to go to, and just the people have been so em- embracing us. And um, so that's that's my story, and uh, I'm glad to be here. I, I knew, number one, knew obviously we'd ask that question. I also know that in any interview or probably any conversation you've had, that question's come up. So I've tried to find a new way to ask it. So, you know, how many times did you you'll take a call or a text from – your friends in the game said, you're going where when that came out? <laughs> you know, I think in the coaching profession or you, you really have 
a close circle. I mean, yeah, it's it's you know the the old saying, you're one or two people away from knowing everybody in the world in baseball. I mean, you can go somewhere and you go, oh, I know him, I know him, you know. But when you get it right down to it, you know, you have your 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 people that that you're really connected with and and it, that you really rely on. And and I've got a couple of people that I really trust in the game that they know me and, and they know kind of what I was looking for and they know and it happened to be that those same people knew coach Raffo and so they're like AD man this is a perfect fit for what for where you are what you want to do you're not going to find a better place and a better person to work with and um, so that was really when, when I was looking that was the number one thing I wanted to be somewhere with someone that shared the same vision as I did that had the passion and that obviously go out and, and compete at a high level um, and do it the way that um, we felt like we could both be in that uh, that grind together. And that was the number one thing. So when I spoke with those people that I really, really believe in and they, they kind of put that stamp on it, confirming it, I knew then it was a no, it was, a, it was really a no brainer for me. And uh, so that's how I got here. I want to go back to the beginning of your baseball journey. Did you grow up in a baseball family? I did, actually. Um, so, growing up, I grew up in Gadsden, Alabama, uh, which is up in the north uh, north parts, about an hour from Birmingham, and um, grew up with three brothers. Um, and so, we were involved in you know every sporting event that you could could uh, could imagine. Uh, my dad actually, uh, my dad actually signed professionally out of high school. He signed as a as a pitcher out of high school, and um, he played some pro ball. And so that was kind of introducing me to baseball. And I knew from the from you know a, a very young age that I wanted to be a baseball player. That's kind of where I set my sights on. Now, I, I loved all the other sports, and uh, but I knew when it was time for me to, to hopefully go into that next level, I knew it was going to be. It was going to be baseball. Um, so out of high school, I signed with the University of Alabama, and uh, I, I played there for – actually, was there three years. I played two. I got hurt one year, and, and I missed uh, missed my second year. So after my junior year, we went to Omaha and uh, finished second to Texas. Uh, Texas beat us in the national championship game and and well again I'm dating myself here but 1983 Roger Clemens beat us in the final game oh, wow um mm-hmm. so I was drafted signed with the Tigers and went into a, and started my pro ball experience and got to double a and and you know all the old stories hey arm injury and anyway that ended my playing career but I but I even knew in high school that when my playing days were over I wanted to coach I just mm. you know that was kind of in my I loved the game. I wanted to stay involved in it somehow. I wanted to be a big leaguer, to be honest with you, as a player. But that just was not meant to be. And so I was like, okay, I can go into coaching. And um, so I started my journey into coaching. And um, that's kind of how it started at a very young age. And fortunately, I, I told someone that if I can hang on a few more years, I could say I never had to work a day of my life, you know. I mean, that's what I really feel like, going to the yard every day and – you know, putting the uni on and and uh, and competing, and I mean, it's it's. I think it's obviously a you know, your job, but it's more than that. I mean, it's your passion. You know, you get to do something that you really love to do. I, like you guys, I'm sure you guys love sitting here and and talking. 
and, and doing the things that you do. Um, and, and so it, we're, we're grateful, blessed to, to say that I can, I've been able to do that for, for all these years. I got a couple about your roots. You, you mentioned born in Gadsden, so and in sign with Alabama. Is that because that was the fit, or or, or was it on your birth certificate that you guys were an Alabama <laughs> well, family? Listen, you know, it still is today. Either you're gonna you're, you're Auburn, Alabama. Right. There is no, I mean, there is that you know that that fine line. Of who are you going to be? Well, you know, I grew up. We we uh, we rooted for the tie. You know, Bear Bryant was you know he was everything in the state of Alabama at the time, and. You know, watching the Bear Bryant show on Sunday afternoons, and I mean, it was just that's what you did. And uh, but baseball was not; uh, it wasn't really high on the list at Alabama. You know, somebody told me they said the three things at Alabama: it was football, spring football, and recruiting. And I'm telling you, I'm not so sure that that's not true. (laughs) Probably still true. You know. Um, So, but I happened to come out. You know, it was back in when I graduated high school in 1980. So. Alabama had just hired a new coach in 79, Barry Schallenberger. And Coach Schallenberger came from Middle Georgia College. And uh, he his first year was 79. So I was going to be in his second recruiting class. Well, when I started getting recruited by some different schools and things like that, you know, I, I started looking at it. And I said, well, you know what? Either I could go to a school that is very established in you know in in the game and they've done a lot of really good things, or you can go somewhere that's on the up and coming, you know, and and that they're going to try to change the culture of of what the program is. And I thought, well, Alabama. I mean, here I am in the state of Alabama, and how much better could it get, you know? And so they started recruiting me, and and they were. You know, I was getting something just about every day from them. You know, I'm like, man, they, they man makes you feel good as a as sure. a young kid. You know, you feel like they really want you. You know, so when they made the offer, um, and and let me tell you, this is kind of going back a little bit, okay, with what recruiting is today and when I was coming out. So this was my senior year of high school in April when I got my first offer. <laughs> okay. Now that tells you a little bit of, of, uh, of where we are in today's world. I mean, you know, we're looking at seventh graders now, you know, and, and, uh, but that's when I got my first offer is in April. And when they called the house and, and called the house, you know, the house phone yeah. too, that kind of dates me well, but, um, talked to coach and, uh, you know, they made the offer and, um, I'm like, I, I mean, it was, it was just the, it was the, it was what I was looking for made the commitment and then you know in, enjoyed my enjoyed my time we we did we had a great run as as i said we we did fin- finish second in the country in two, in 1983 and um you know it allowed me it was the kind of the stepping stone of the opportunities that i've had since and i would not have changed it for anything so i know you wanted to pitch for the tigers but still how cool was it to pitch for the barons it was um, right there at home. I mean, literally an hour from uh, you know from where I grew up. Um, it was um, you know I, I I really wished that that I could have you know stayed healthy to see exactly you know maybe what um, where it would have taken me, but it just wasn't again meant to be. And and uh, I just I, I never really had a chance to pitch. What I would say, healthy and and uh, but I had a great experience. Got to pitch double A in the state of Alabama for the for the Birmingham Barons, which you know at the field that we played at, 
uh, was Old Rickwood Field, which is the the oldest stadium still in in um, in existence till today, and they still do some games at at Old Rickwood. I think they filmed a couple of movies there, and um, you know, just a great you know a great venue, and and uh, so having played there was uh, you know again kind of like a boyhood dream, I guess yeah. you know, and uh, so nothing but uh, great memories now. At any point there, I'm kind of looking looking through stuff at '84. So was Bob Melvin your your catcher? You know, any on that team? Uh, you know, Bob Mel. He was already he was already up. He was higher than I, I. I don't know. He may have been in the big leagues as a backup. You know, that's the year they won the World Series in 1983 with uh, trying to Jack Morris and you know Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell. You know, all those guys were on that '84 team. And I think Bob Melvin, he was either in AAA or he was the backup catcher in the big leagues at that time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm trying to think on our team, um, the big leaguers that we had uh, a guy that ended up, uh, Chris Patero was one of our middle infielders. And actually the next year was when Sparky Anderson decided that he was going to move Lou Whitaker off a of second base to let Chris Patero become the second baseman and that didn't go so well <laughs> <laughs> no it didn't you know and i think they probably made the change back but chris patero was a, a really good big leaguer played you know i think for the twins and but that was you know at that time that was like you're doing what you know and, mm-hmm. and people it kind of raised some eyebrows i'm mean, here's lou whitaker who you could say is a hall of famer i mean if you go back and look at his career and i'm surprised he's not really in the hall of fame right now to be honest with you but that was the move that that came that next spring because Chris had a phenomenal spring. Here's a young player, and you know, just didn't go the way that I think that that they had envisioned. But that was one of our guys that that played on the team I did, and in, in that uh, during that time. So your playing career ends, and mm-hmm. you said even before you played college ball, you knew you eventually wanted to get into coaching. So what was your first stop in coaching? So when I uh, when I was finished um, playing. Uh, my wife was still in school, and she was trying to get her degree uh, to be uh, to go into nursing. So during that time, I had not graduated college at that time. So I went to uh, get a real job, and uh, while, while I was waiting on her to, to graduate, and I started selling sporting goods for about a year and a half to high schools, traveling around, and so still in the game somewhat, you know, yeah. with coaches and things like that. Well, as soon as she got her degree, then I went back to school. And, uh, and I got my degree. And my first coaching job was at Vanderbilt. I, I, uh, they had a position that came open in the fall of that year. And uh, so they were looking for someone to come in in January of 19 – it would have been 1990. And uh, so someone that – I was living in Birmingham. I knew a high school coach that uh, was uh, acquainted with the head coach at Vanderbilt at the time – he made a call for me and, and uh, ended up sitting down with the head coach, and we discussed some things, and so he brought me on board. That was my first coaching job. So I stayed there 90 and 91, and then, you know, the thing that happened, as soon as I was getting into college baseball, they started, the NCAA came in and started this new thing where they were going to limit the number of coaches that you could have. You could have one head coach, 
an assistant coach, and then what they called a restricted earnings coach. So they were going to allow you to have another coach. You could only make so much money. You had to do camp. And, you know, it was a lot kind of like the volunteer until today. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, goodness, I'm just getting into college baseball, and they're already making these changes how am I going to be able to, you know, support a family and, you know, things like that? So I started looking at that point, okay, what might be my next option? You know, do I want to, I want to stay in coaching, but what's going to be the next avenue for me to, to do this and make a career out of it? Well, we happened to be recruiting a kid at Vanderbilt whose dad was the scouting director for the Chicago Cubs at the time. We were recruiting his, his son. And when this happened – I became acquainted with his dad and and uh, and then another friend of mine who was in the organization. And I said, you know, he's like, well, what would you know, what are you looking to do? And I said, you know what, I think I might want to try to get into scouting. Long story short. Anyway, he had an opportunity in scouting for uh, Tennessee, Alabama and Kentucky. And so I could live in Nashville. I could mm-hmm. scout. And he said, also, we want you to go be a pitching coach in the summer in one of our short seasons, I'm like, hey, this is the best of both worlds. I can scout, go be a pitching coach. So it rocked along there. So I finished the 91 season, and then I hired on in 92, in the fall of 92, with the Cubs, scouting that territory. And then after the scouting season, I went to the Penn League, New York Penn League, to be the pitching coach. And after that season was over, they said, what would you like to do? You want to scout? You want to be in player development? You want to do both? I said, no, I don't want to do both. That that was – you can't scout a territory and not be there in the summer. So yeah. I knew that was out. Mm-hmm. And I just knew I wanted to be on the field. I, I wanted – player development was in my – it was in my blood. That's what I wanted to do. So they um, – I became full-time pitching coach. The next year I went to um, Peoria, Illinois, and that started my journey for the next 15 years as a pitching yeah, coach. Yeah, that's what I this dude – you can never question his dedication to the sport, to the game of baseball, because 15 years in the Cubs organization didn't run him off. Nothing's going to. And that's spoken uh, like a true card. Well, I, I was going to say, boom, you know, I knew that was coming from somewhere, but uh, I did. I spent 15 years at very, you know, a ball for four, uh, well, Peoria, Illinois, Rockford, Illinois, Daytona Beach, spent eight years in Jackson, Tennessee. That was my longest stint at one time in AA. We were the – we came in the first team that when they came into his, uh, to uh, existence was in 1998. We were the uh, Tennessee Dim- or Diamond Jacks, and that was 98. New State, Pringles Park, yeah. Yeah. averaging 350,000 fans – you know, it, it was, I mean, that was the hottest show going, okay? So we were at the ground floor. I stayed there eight years in that in that venue. Uh, and then um, the next year after that, I went to Iowa for a season, and then I became the coordinator in 2007. You went to the Orioles organization later on, and you were actually with the big league team, yes. correct? Yeah, I left in, uh, I left right towards the end of 07, to go to the Orioles to be the bullpen coach. Um, and so I stayed there the end of 7, 8, 9, and 10. You know, again, we talk about change happens. So I was with the Orioles, and we, we weren't having a, a whole lot of success the time that I was there. And it was, it was in – you see it a lot now with the old um, we're going to tear it down to rebuild it. And you've seen that happening a lot in Major League Baseball with a lot of organizations that they're going to – 
Astros, i.e., you know, they did it, you know, several years ago and, and just went, um, we're going to build this thing back up. So I was kind of in that time with the Orioles when we were, we were struggling and what were we going to do? And so, um, and then Buck Showalter came in and in uh, August of 2010, as things happen, you know that change is coming. And, and I felt like that we were, they were probably going to make a change with our staff and, you know, a manager wants his people and, you know, Buck obviously didn't, didn't know me at the time. Now I spent two months with him because from August all the way through September, we, you know, we were all together and, and, um, actually from August of 2010 through into September, 2010, we had the best record in American league baseball at the time. Hmm. So, um, now, who was the manager before Buck? Buck before Buck was Dave Tremblay. That's who brought me on board. Dave and I were together in Double A in '98, '99, and he and I'll tell you this: how this business works. You know, you talk about knowing everybody and and how things. So Dave was. We were together. He was the manager. I was a pitching coach for two years, and he left the uh, Cubs to go to the Orioles. And he told me that uh, he said, "Ad, if I ever if I ever get to the big leagues, I'm gonna bring you on board." And you know, and a lot of people, you know, those things are said a lot of times, you know, and and always I think in good faith and and really believe it. And but sometimes, you know, you you get in a situation to to do that, but your hands are tied. You know, you can't really make the you know make that happen. But I'll tell you what, when when he he became the interim for Sam Palazzo um, in 2007. He became the interim. They were looking to hire somebody, so no one they could find no one. So Dave took it, and and all of a sudden they start playing well. And next thing you know, he called me. He said, "Ad," hey, um, he said, "I think I'm going to get this. I think I'm going to get this job full time." And uh, I said, "Man, that's awesome." And he said, "I want to bring you on board." And I said. So it rocked along there, and he called me August. I want to say it was August the 23rd of 2010, and um, he got named the manager, and I left two days later to go be the bullpen coach. So my point is he was a man of his word, hmm. and he had the opportunity, and he brought me on, he brought me on board. And it, uh, from a baseball standpoint, for has ever changed my life, you know, in, hmm. in a lot of ways from things that allow me to do – uh, and I'll be eternally grateful for him. He's a he's a great baseball man. He's out of the game now in terms of affiliation. He is he's doing some summer stuff now with this MLB draft league that they have. He's coached there the last two years and tremendous baseball guy. But I owe him a lot. So we're going to talk because the next step is obviously then getting back to the college game at some point. You know, and obviously there's a lot to to talk about there. But I want to give you whatever's the best answer, whether it's similarities or differences between scouting and recruiting. Very similar, obviously. You're 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 evaluating talent first of all. Um, you're evaluating at the time when I was scouting, it was a lot of well, I mean, it's high school and college, but you know, you're you're still in a projection world so to speak when you're a scout hey what is this kid going to be five years from now and i tell you that is a hard I, I give these scouts much kudos because it is hard 
to determine what someone's going to be X of years away. We, we think from experience and having seen X number of players, but, you know, you're still evaluating human beings and a lot of things come into the mix. So I, I think it's still the, the same as the evaluation process and, you know, how, how may this kid, you know, is his ceiling going to be a big leaguer? Whereas I think in the recruiting world, we're trying to find, yes, projection of what he may be in a couple of years but also we need kids to come in and be able to perform right now you know in college baseball that you can give them a little bit of leeway and and we know that hey may not be ready but they're not that far off because it's about winning and um, the urgency of winning in college baseball is obviously imminent I mean you you play 56 games and and you gotta you gotta have your best players playing at a high level. Whereas in pro ball, it's like okay, we're getting him in to a development mode. We're trying to get him to be a big leaguer. That's it. You're not really worried about are you winning and losing in the minor leagues. It's about can we get this guy to be a big leaguer to play for the big league club. So that's what say I would say the similarities and differences. But again, it's it's still some projection on both sides, but it's just more of a projection in the minor leagues than what you're trying to do in college baseball. And I guess in one, right, in recruiting, when you find what you like, you got to go sell the kid. And I guess in scouting, you got to go sell the organization. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, and you know, and, and the, the one thing about being a college coach, not only are you the scout – but you're the general manager. You're the whatever. I mean, you're doing it all. Whereas in pro ball, or if as a scout, all you're doing is scouting. You're sending him to the player development. Player development is having people above them say he is or he's not. You know, here, you know, we we can't point the finger at somebody and go, well, he recruited. You know, it's us. <laughs> and I want to tell you a quick story about that. So when I scouted my my first year of of an only year of scouting when I was with the Cubs. Um, so I went out that year, and, and I was fortunate enough to get some players in my territory. And so I actually re, uh, had a kid that was a senior left-handed pitcher that, you know, liked his stuff, and he wasn't going to be a high draft. We were going to give him an opportunity to come in to see, what you know, what he was and maybe panned out, and, you know, you found a, a gem. Well, there's always this thing in player development and scouting sometimes that – there can be this division, you know, it's like, well, a scout goes out and signs because he thinks the talent's there. And then the player development people go like, you know, who signed this guy, you know, watching him. And so there can be some friction, especially when you get into meetings, you know, it's just like I signed him, I put him on the plane, he was doing something, he got off the plane, I don't know what you did with him, you know. So <laughs> so we're in, in Geneva, New York, and I'm coaching my first year of, to being a pitching coach, and one of the kids that – I actually signed was on our team and so he's pitching in the game and it wasn't going so well and I looked over at the manager I said who signed this guy you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know I had both ends I was the development guy and and you know so um but it I was. can't imagine that has <laughs> happened too many times over the years uh so but that's a true story I mean and uh but that's how I think it. It uh, you know there there are similarities, but you know it, you, you in in college baseball you are trying to find those kids right away that can come in and and compete right away and 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 then hopefully build on their skill set that you see, and then by the time that they're you know their opportunity to either 
you know, go into professional baseball or come back for their senior year or whatever, you see that that talent that you thought you saw has taken those levels up? And that's a good question, just the, the differences between recruiting and scouting. But after 20 years of professional baseball, you go into college ball once again. You go to LSU where you would spend 10 years. You'd go to the College World Series three times. I know you were the runner-up in 2017, so a great run there. But how did that opportunity come about for you to go to LSU and – is there a difference in coaching, the actual on-field mm. coaching between the professional and the college pitchers? The, the way the opportunity presented itself, uh, as I said, it was 2010 um, when I felt like – I felt like my wife and, and myself, we were kind of at a crossroads of where did we want the next few years of – my coaching profession to go and I and I had even began thinking to be honest with you even being at the big league level it was like you know I, I, I just think that it's time to start looking at maybe a different to getting back into college baseball you know I had I had uh, we had two kids uh, they were traveling everywhere with me because we homeschooled my kids so that we could all be together I say we my wife homeschooled mm. our kids let's make sure we know that uh, so they were going with me, and it just kids starting to get into high school, and I was like, you know, could, could we find some roots and and just maybe settle down in terms of a little more stability? If there's such a thing in coaching world, stability, you know. But we felt like that if we were in one place all the time, that we might have that 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 uh, the roots, so to speak. So I started thinking about college and. Um, there was a couple opportunities that came available that I really thought was going to happen before LSU, and um, and they didn't. And uh, to be honest with you, there I, I was a little um, it was a little devastation there, you know, because I really thought that this was where we were going, and and it, it just didn't work out. And so, jump forward, I was still I was the coordinator for the Orioles, went to spring training. And I got a call in around uh, around April uh, from the general manager when I was with the Cubs. It was Jim Hendry. And uh, so I worked for Jim for 15 years mm-hmm. in the minor league level. And his best friend is Paul Maneri. Okay, they, I mean, they, I mean, they're like, seriously like brothers. They mm. talk every day. So when Jim was with the Orioles, he was the general manager of the, of the, uh, the Cubs. I'm sorry. And so he called me one day. He said, uh, would you have any interest in going to, back to college baseball? And I said, absolutely. He put me in touch with Paul. I didn't know Paul. So Paul and I met um, and sat down and, and talked LSU baseball, philosophy, you know, the whole thing. And it was just a fit. You know, it was like this was what I was looking for. He wanted to get outside and he had thought about going into professional ranks to maybe bring a pitching coach in with a different, you know, maybe a different idea than what he had previously had. And, and, um, you know, and, and, uh, having, and then another one of his friends who was also with the Cubs at the time, Randy Bush, who was played for the Minnesota twins when they won the, the world series back in the nineties. It, so it's Jim, Randy and Paul. And they're like, you know all tight well i'd work with randy with the cubs too mm-hmm. 
So Paul called him and fortunately he gave me a good recommendation. And so one thing leads to another. And so, um, they, uh, they offered me the position and, and I left the Orioles in uh, June of 11 and went over to, to LSU. Well, obviously, uh, a great run at LSU, and we talked about how you came to Arkansas State. You're nine games in as we record this interview. What do you like about working with this pitching staff, and what strides do you kind of see being made already? You know what? Um, I, I love this staff. I love the I, I love the the guys. Um, I think they have um, showed great resiliency. Um, they've taken to, I think, the plan that we're trying to establish. And, you know, we, we, uh, we went in, in this thing at the end of August and trying to, trying to establish an identity as a pitching staff and not wavering from that. And that's something I think that you have to have. Who are we going to be? How are we going to go out, game in and game out, and compete at a high level? And I'm not saying that how you go out and have shutouts every out, because that's not happening. It's just I don't care who you are. You can have the best staff in, in, in America, and you're not going to throw shutouts every game that you pitch. So that's not what you're really focusing on. It's do we have a plan? Do we have a process? And how are we going to go about getting that done game in and game out? And uh, that is something that we've, we've tried to establish, and I feel uh, grateful that the guys have kind of bought into that. And, um, you know, we're, 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 we're not perfect by any stretch. Let me say this. I see things that are going on that are going to allow us to stay in games. And eventually I think that leads to winning. Okay, I think in order for us to win baseball games, we got to pitch it and we got to catch it. That's been the way the game's been around for a hundred years. I, it's not changing. We can look at all this stuff that's going on now: analytics, spin rate. If you don't pitch it and you don't catch it, you ain't win. Excuse my English. That's there. good. You're, no, you're you're not going to win. So that's what we have to stand on. Um, and so we're trying to 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 build that culture into our guys. And, uh, and listen, it, I, I wish it were as easy as, you know, here's a magic wand and there's no such thing as a magic wand. Listen, it comes from the, the guys putting the work in, having the mindset, um, being able to, to, to deal with adversity because this game is, it, it is adversity laden. I don't care who you are. And if you can't handle adversity in baseball, it's good, you're going to have a hard time. Um, so we're, we're trying to create that. And, uh, and then, but more than that is, is when you do have success is build on that and, and really truly evaluate it. Why were you successful? And let's repeat that. And that's what pitching is. It's repeating one good pitch after another. And if you throw enough of those, you got a chance to be successful, you know, and, and, and so it really is trying to keep a simple approach, fundamental who are we? What are we trying to do? And then just go out and say, you know what? I'm on this mound. It's a 10-inch mound for a reason. And I'm going to dictate what happens. And uh, that's what we're trying to establish. So 
at LSU in that time, I mean, we, we talked about the other, there's 27 draft picks and there's first rounders and there's all stars. And you guys had that program to a point where like you can go to up to Missouri and sign the Gatorade player of the year and bring him in. He goes 12 and 0 as a freshman and all this and that. You, you guys had, you could, you could get a conversation with basically any recruit in the country. So do you kind of like the different part of this challenge from a recruiting standpoint of going out and, and finding guys that you want to bring into your pitching staff here? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, obviously this being my first year and, and, and obviously Coach Corno and, and uh, being the recruiting coordinator and, and, and laying the roots for the program and, and getting Arkansas State out there. And, and I think it's, you know, uh, now that Coach LeBounty has come on board and, and I tell you what a go-getter he is too. I mean, he is on, I mean, he's been on the road now for quite some time and he's out looking and, and trying to, you know, tr- again, I think it's so important that you try to find the kids that, yes, talent. Listen, it's, you got to have skill set. I mean, we know that. I mean, the way that college baseball and college sports in general now is, you know, the days of looking at your schedule and going, oh, you know, okay, that that's maybe a win day or, you know, something like that. Those days are over because of the parity of the, the athletes in today's uh, world, um, you know, with the, the way the scholarship limits are. Um, listen, there, there, there's programs across the country now that, that – I'm telling you, literally any day, any team can beat you. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are, who you have. So we're trying to find those players that that can have a really good fit at Arkansas State, that have a high a high skill set, that want to be here, that want to be in an environment of a mid major um, program, but with a power five mentality does that make sense mm-hmm. that guys that you know what hey maybe they feel like oh i got overlooked by x school or whatever it is but they're really good players and we've got to find that we got to find that niche that that people are looking for that and you know what i don't think coach labounty is going to shy away from anybody you know um because i really believe this when you talk to a young man on the phone the thing that is so important is what is that connection with him and who he is speaking with. You know, we tell him all the time, you know, it's about who you're going to play for and who you're going to play with. That's so key. And what are you looking for to have a college experience? And and I think that, um, you know, we're we're trying to to lay that foundation. And, and we're going after kids that we feel like that obviously can really play but that they, they want to be in an environment like this and where are we going? And I think selling them, not, I, I use the word sell. I don't even like to use the word sell. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything, okay? When I talk to a kid, I'm not trying to sell him to Arkansas State because I don't want to do that. I want it to be something where we talk about Arkansas State in a way that they hear our passion and where we're going and how we're going to get there and how they fit in, that it's not like I'm talking you into coming. I don't want to talk you into coming. I want you to come to see us. I want you to hear us. I want you to sit down in Coach Raffo's office and look at him in the face. I want you to see our kids. I want you to see how we're going to compete. And I want you to say, that's a place I want to go because that's how it works. 
because if you don't have that mindset, I don't. You can go to the just name a school. It can have all the bells and whistles and the best this and the best that. If you don't feel that, it's not going to work. I've seen it too many times. So I think that's our 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 netting of how we're going to go out recruiting. And um, I'm excited about I'm excited about the team we have now, and then I'm excited about the kids that we're going to bring on board in these next recruiting classes to complement and to build what we're trying to do. Last thing, at, at least for me, are we still calling it a bullpen or is it an arm barn now? <laughs> you know, I'm old school, so I'm calling it a bullpen, okay? <laughs> all right, so let me follow up with that. And everybody's excited because we've got all these new plans for facilities and renovating the stadium, which is much needed. The the uh, blueprints have come out just uh, here in the last month or so. Looks great. But the, the biggest addition this year is that new Tommy's Express bullpen out there in right center field. How big of a difference maker is that? Huge. In a lot of ways. One, it's the biggest bullpen I've ever had. Okay. Uh, it's actually it, three mounds, right? Four. We actually have four. four mounds, and we have 90 feet inside the bullpen area. We have 90 feet. Does so, anybody else have four mounds? And uh, You know, we were over at Ole Miss the other day. I have three. I'm trying to think of my previous stops. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, and, and, and we just have a – it's a great work area. We can use video in there and have enough distance to be able to see our pitchers from full body and, and, and the catchers. We can get our long throw in prior to getting on the mound. We have a plyo board ball, a wall back there. They can get their warm-up done prior to. It, it's a game changer for us at right now. Um, and then once we, we start in our like preseason work, which we'll start back in August, when we start doing multiple bullpens at one time, that just gives you hey, have four guys going instead of one or two, so you can get a lot more reps in. It is a game changer. And then, uh, obviously, you, you spoke about the uh, you know the renderings for the for the new stadium, and I just you know that's going to be that that's going to help take us to to that next tier that we want to go. And I'm excited about that you know, happening. And, and I know our players and our fans and, you know, I, I just, um, obviously it's something that, that we know we need. And, uh, and it's just, uh, it, it's, it, it gives you a lot of energy thinking about, Hey, that could be there. And, and, and what, what better way to, to, to really show Arkansas state. One of the first things you see when you come to campus is the, this our baseball mm-hmm. field, right? Right. You know, and you come in, and, and all of a sudden now you, you see this this nice venue, and, you know, people come in, and then you have the embassy suites right there, and it's like, this is a good environment. You know, it makes you feel good about what you're coming on campus. I think that can be huge. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that happening. I know our kids are. You know, it just – it gives you uh, – it gives you uh, – um, again, excitement to come out, and I, and I'm and I, and I'll I'll hit on this, okay? So, you know, we're playing the games this weekend, and you know they had told me about you know what goes on in right field with the with the uh, fraternities and the people coming out in their trucks and their couches, and man, I love that. <laughs> I, I tell you, I tell I tell those guys, you know those the the guys that are coming out there and they're cooking and they're watching stay for a doubleheader. Um, you know, I, I was like. 
thank you. You know, because our kids, when you play in front of people, it matters. And that's what I want to say, you know, in having this opportunity to come. And, and I really do appreciate you guys having me on because, you know, the, to talk about Arkansas State baseball and where we can be and what we can do. And, you know, we need people. You know, we need people that want to be on board, that want to invest in something that that you can uh, that you can hold on to. You know, and and I just think it's I think we're right there on the cutting edge of of having something that 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 could be awesome. And I, as I say, new stadium. So I, I want to implore all the people you know out there and 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 the the people that come out and and, and watch us play. Uh, you know, invest in it. Um, and you know and. And we want to put a good product on the field, and we want our kids to play hard, and we want to compete. And don't don't make any mistake, we want to win. We this is not intramural baseball. This is we're coming to play every day, and we want our kids to be prepared to put a good product on the field that people can can come on and say, "Listen, man, I'm a Red Wolf fan. I'm going to show up at the games." And so, uh, I know what energy it gives me when I see those people and in the stands. So, that's my plug to 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 say what 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 I think we can be, and I'm excited you know I'm excited for the future but I'm also excited for the present because I think this team um, yeah we got to shore some things up we got to do some things better but you know what that's why you play the games that's that's where you look at your strengths and your weaknesses and you go okay this is where I think that we're going to excel when we got to hit on those to be better and then um Hopefully you look up and you've put on you've gone on a run and and you're having success and and there's nothing that that um, breeds success like winning you know so that's what I'm looking forward to. A State pitching coach Alan Dunn, we appreciate you coming by, hanging out with us today. Really enjoyed this visit. No, this has been this has been phenomenal. I really do appreciate what you guys do and and again for for having me on and. And letting me, uh, you know, bore you with my stories and and uh, where kind of kind of how we stuff. got uh, this is you great. know it kind of how we, we got here, but uh, you know it's um, you know I, I I can't say it enough to be to really tell you I am excited to be here. This is a great place, and I'm just looking forward to us uh, hopefully tapping into what I think it can be. And and I know Coach Raffo, Coach has been here a long time. Um, I know what he's put in it. I know his passion for what he wants to do, and uh, I want to be right there and, and be a compliment to him, and, and uh, just as I know all of our staff does, and and uh, and see where we can take this thing. More to come on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Really enjoyed that visit with A-State pitching coach Alan Dunn. And as we look at the week ahead, the baseball team with another busy week, a couple of midweek home games. They'll host Southeast Missouri Tuesday at 6. Southern Illinois is in here Wednesday at 6. That'll wrap up the seven-game homestand. Then the Red Wolves scheduled to be in Springfield this weekend 
playing at Missouri State. Friday at 3, Saturday at 2, Sunday at 1. I know the Friday forecast is <laughs> a little iffy, calling for very cold temperatures and snow in Springfield. Well, I, I hope uh, I hope you get to get all those in. Number one, Springfield's a, a cool city. You know, fun to call ball games at Hammonds Field. I, I always enjoy that going over there to to Hammonds. That's the Double A ballpark for the the Cardinals, yeah. the Springfield Cardinals, hey. and it's right there in downtown. I mean, it's it's a cool setup. But you go back prior to that, you know, John Q. Hammonds. Everybody likely knows who that is and what he's done for Springfield. They didn't have a minor league ball team. He built that ballpark. It literally was, if you build it, they will come. He built the ballpark and said, we'll get a double, we'll get a minor league team in it. Not only get one, he got the double A Cardinal team. And so uh, when that thing first opened, the only team that played in it was the Missouri State Bears. Pretty nice, brand new ballpark for a college team to have. <laughs> it really is. It's a cool venue and, and looking forward to being there this weekend. Meanwhile, we referenced this earlier. We don't know if if the men's basketball team is going to play again or not this year. But the record sitting at 18 and 11. And after the game on Saturday, after the Red Wolves lost to Georgia State, Mike Bellato was asked about postseason opportunities. And he said there are opportunities out there. Obviously, you're not going to play in the NCAA or the NIT, but there's a couple of other postseason tournaments that you can play in. And the Red Wolves have not played in one of these tournaments before. He, he went as far as to say that they've already received invitations, is what he said. And then, look, it's been an 18-win season. There's a lot of teams that, that have had seasons like Arkansas State that have gone on and played in these tournaments but you and I were talking about this, and, and you look at what is coming back next year. And, you know, Marquise Eaton and Christian Willis are both gone, but everybody else is expected to come back. Everybody else can come back. You can look at this as an opportunity to kind of get a, a head start on next year and to keep playing ball, get more experience. These tournaments, I get it, they're not for everyone. Right, but what you're talking about, what to me, what dictates is what you're talking about. What's the makeup of your roster? If four of your top seven players are seniors and you were supposed to win your league because you won it a year or two ago and the season didn't go the way you wanted and this is you were invited one of these, you say no. You pack it up. Our season didn't go the way we wanted. You pack it up and let those guys start the next chapter. But you got to look at it from Arkansas State situation. Number one, you hadn't played in a postseason game in the millennium, right? The 1999 NCAA tournament was the last one that covered a long time. And then, as you said, you know, you've got just the two seniors, the one senior starter, the potential to have the rest of this team back. This is the sort of team that could benefit from getting some kind of postseason experience, whatever that might be. I think you you need to see as well how much they want to continue playing. And, you know, I know Coach Bellotto is going to talk to the players. And, you know, Marquise Eaton has played in more games than anybody in the history of the school. What does Keese want to do? I mean, I think you kind of take that into account, him and Christian Willis. I would think they'd want to keep playing, but who knows? 
I remember, and the the only thing I can really compare this to, and you know, Coach Brady had a, a couple of nineteen win seasons back to back, and I, I remember just the mindset of that last team. It, it was NCAA or NIT or a bust. That was kind of the the feeling with that team. But there there were seniors on it. Uh, a lot of them they weren't coming back the next year. So. As you said, I, I think the mindset was a little bit different with that team. With this team, it's more chances for Norshad O'Meara to play. It's more chances for Desi to play. Caleb Fields, this might be a good thing. And to, to another point you made when, we were, when you and I were talking about this, is that there have been teams that have used these other tournaments when you're in that situation with a young enough roster to springboard that into future success down the line, including Grant McCaslin doing it early in this time at North Texas. So there are going to be folks that, if this comes to pass, there are going to be folks that obviously uh, sort of you know, look down the nose at it or don't want to do it, and I, I get it. But when you look at the totality of the situation, you look at all the factors, and you look at the amount of this roster you got coming back, and the the fact that no, you know, Desi Seals is the only guy on it with real postseason experience – this is a chance. This is the sort of team where if you get an opportunity to play, you play. All right. So that decision's coming up. Anything else we need to talk about before we get out of here? Uh, so selection Sunday is coming up. Okay. So I can give you, I can either sit on a rant about that for next week or I can give it to you preemptively, not even knowing who it's going to happen to. But I'm telling you this, I'll go with it now. So yeah, I know we've been going a little long, but since we're here, come Sunday. Four teams are getting screwed. I don't know who. We'll know who in the bracket comes out, but there's guaranteed four teams are getting screwed come Sunday. And it's the four teams that they're going to send to the first four to play for a 16 line in the tournament. Four teams are going to win conference tournaments, cut down nets for the chance, because you know, they've earned the right to play in the NCAA tournament, and they're going to get sent to Dayton and told, this is what you earned. I agree and, with that. And that's crap. You think there ought to be four more teams that are maybe fighting for 11 or 12 spots, the last teams that Here's are in deal. is at large. Right now what they, what they say is they take the last four in and then they take the, the, the lowest four teams that got in at large and they take the lowest four teams that got in as automatic bids. Well, you're half right. You take if you're going if you've got to do this first four thing, then you take the last eight teams that got in, and you know them. You've got it ranked one through sixty-eight. You clearly could sit down and say these are the last eight teams that got in the field. Those are the eight teams. If somebody's got to go do that yeah. thing, that's who ought to have to do it. I don't disagree with that. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know where the sun, who at this point we don't know who the Sun Belt champion is. We don't know where we're going to be seated. That's not a Sun Belt thing. I don't care if it's the SWAC, the MEAC, the whatever. Those teams that are getting sent to play the first four to a sixteen line are getting screwed every time. It's been a fun episode. It sure has. Appreciate Alan Dunn for swinging by and spending uh, almost an hour with us today. Looking forward to seeing what the A-State baseball team does this week, and we'll be back to join you again next week for another edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.